सहनावतु सहनोहुनक्तु सहवीर्यंकरवावहे तेजस्विनावधीतमस्तुमा विद्विशावहे ओम शांतिशांतिशांति ओम पूर्णमदर पूर्णमिदम पूर्णार पूर्णमुदच्छेदे पूर्णस्य पूर्णमादय पूर्णमेवावशिष्यदे ओम शांतिशांतिशांति श्रुतिस्मृतिपुराणानाम आलयं करुणालयं नमामि भगवत्पादं शंकरं लोकशंकरं शंकरं शंकराचार्यं केशवं बादरायणं सूत्रभाष्यकृतौ वन्दे भगवन्तौ पुनः पुनः ईश्वरो गुरुरात्मेदे मूर्तिभेद विभागिने व्योमवद्व्याप्तदेहाय दक्षिणामूर्तये नमः श्रीहरिं परमानंदम् उपदेश्तारमीश्वरम् व्यापकं सर्वलोकानां कारणं तम्नमाम्यहम् अपरोक्षानुभूतिर्वै रोच्यते मोक्षसिद्धये सद्भिरेवप्रयत्नेन so sixth verse Sadaiva Vasanatyagaha Samoya Miti Shaddhitaha Nigraho Bhakya Vrittinam Damaitya Vidhiyate Vishayabhyaparavrattehe Paramoparatirhisa Sahanam Sarvadukhanam Titikshasashubhamata Sadaiva Vasana Tyagaha Shamoyam Iti Shabdita Am Shamaha Shabdita So this is called Shama which is the tranquility of the mind Sadaiva Vasana Tyagaha Vasana is the cause of the loss of tranquility of the mind that the mind is agitated what causes agitations the agitations are caused by the impulses that are evident, 
stress, karma, lust, krodha, anger, loha, greed, so these cause agitations. But these in turn are products of what you may call the unconscious, the subconscious and the unconscious. Pooja Swami likes to use the word unconscious. All the kind of hurts and guilts and whatever we have accumulated over all these years during our growth, upbringing and experiences with the world, all of these are stored in the mind and they arise when they find an occasion and something triggers, when an external situation triggers then a given tendency, a given hurt or guilt or joy or sorrow, selfishness. So for the cause or the unconscious to surface in a specific thought, you need some triggering element, <coughs> which may be an experience, which may be a person, which may be my own thought, some memory. And so, it is not very likely that the mind will enjoy tranquility as long as this potential of agitation is there within. Even though the mind may look tranquil at a given point in time, but as long as this cause, potential cause of agitation is there, so long mind will not be tranquil. Again, tranquility of the mind has a role in my contemplation or my focus on what it is that I want to learn, what it is that I want to know. Because if, even when I am concentrating my mind on the object of learning, like listening, shavaram, maranam, contemplation, these things arise, like the bubbles, like a pot is there on the stove. As long as there is fire beneath, there is always the surface of that fluid in the pot. The bubbles keep coming up. And so, so as long as vasanas are there, the bubbles of thoughts or bubbles of disturbances keep coming up. So here the author says, not only giving up the impulses which we know are the causes of the agitation of mind, but even the vasana meaning the very subconscious, unconscious, whatever it is that is all stored inside, all of it also should be neutralized. You say it by creating positive tendencies, <coughs> the right values and right attitudes. <coughs> and when we can't do that, nigraho bhakyavrittiram, then at least that reaction in the mind is not allowed to express itself as action. Shaknuti Yasurin Lord Krishna says, Prakshari Ramokshanat. The one who is able to contain the force of the impulses such as karma, such as lust, greed, anger, so arise in the mind. So some damage is done. 
at least the impulse contained within is not allowed to express itself as action. Either action is words or physical action, it is contained within. Lord Krishna even extols this, this capacity to contain our impulses and not allow them to control my actions. That is called Dhamma, restraining those impulses. Thus we have to develop both these capacities. That an impulse arises, I should be alert and develop the capacity to contain that impulse. There must be value that I should not be dictated by the impulse. Because then the free will is not operating at all. It is my impulse that decides what I do. At that time, in an impulsive action, when free will is not available, all my education, my culture, my training, nothing is available. When a person reacts out of anger, or jealousy, or greed, or lust, or whatever, person becomes as good as an animal. Animals are all dictated by their impulses. And a human being also allows himself or herself to dictate in this way, not much difference. Dharma hitesham adhiko vishesha. Ahara nidra bhayama. There are many things common between human beings and animals. The primary is dharma, righteousness, free will, doing what is proper, that is what distinguishes a human being from other creatures. <clears throat> Therefore, a value of containing my impulses and not submitting to them. Vishayabhyaparavrutti <clears throat> as well as constant practice of subduing the impulses of the mind, of tranquility and subduing the impulses, the mind is slowly and slowly, all those negatives are slowly and slowly neutralized by positive values and attitudes. And so then, mind becomes tranquil just by nature, effortlessly. That's called uparatihi. <coughs> so mind can become like this. That's called purusha, the real effort to make the mind tranquil. <coughs> that is cheerful. It is happy. The extent to which the mind becomes tranquil, to that extent the mind is happy. So we can say that the rajas, sattva, rajas and tamas, which constitute the mind, of that the rajas and tamas. So they are the causes for the agitation of the mind, impulses in the mind. When the mind is predominantly rajas, there is a predominance of bhoga buddhi, enjoyment, indulgence. The mind is predominant tamas, is likely to have cruelty and negativity. So asuri sampatti and rakshasi sampatti. Rakshasim, asurim chaiva, prakritim, mohinim shidaha. So these demons are there. Lord Krishna says that we have to win that battle. 
And the devatas, gods, meaning the divine tendency, the sattvic tendencies, have to win. By constantly nurturing the devata or the sattva, by constantly neutralizing the yasuras and rakshasas, they are just antamas. <coughs> then you discover happiness without any reason. So as the mind becomes tranquil, you find yourself, that's his test. How do I know that my mind is becoming pure? Simple. You find yourself cheerful, happy, happy with yourself, comfortable with yourself. So being happy with one's own self, being comfortable with one's own is a great siddhi, is a great accomplishment. Because it leads to moksha, which is a total comfort with oneself. That's all. Whether you call it samadhi, call it yoga, call it whatever, you will say total comfort with oneself. <coughs> Atmaniva, Atmanatashta. Ultimately, one is totally content with oneself for no reason at all. So that contentment or happiness that comes from the self has no reason. It's not nimitte comes to come. It's not happiness because of reason. It is nirnimitta nusukham. Happiness because it is a nature. Atma is always a nature of happiness. But this rajas and tamas, they do not allow that happiness to manifest. Like in a pool of water, if the water is dirty, then we cannot see what is at the bottom of that pool. So remove that dirt and the surface also becomes calm. Then the body of the water becomes transparent. And you can see more as it becomes more and more transparent, you can more and more clearly see what is at the bottom. So the so mind becomes more and more transparent, reflecting or revealing or allowing the manifestation of the happiness which is at the bottom, which is the self. <coughs> So this itself is a great accomplishment. Next step of knowledge is not far away. When you experience your happiness, then to know that you are happy is not a big deal, you understand? If I if I'm a sad person, then to know that I'm happiness is a big deal, is this difficult stuff. So therefore, what we call this evolution, if you call this spiritual evolution, the inner evolution. Or make the making mind sattvic, pure, or tranquil. <coughs> then says now defining what is titiksha. So shama, dama, uparati, titiksha. The second line of the seventh verse describes that sahanam sarudukhana titiksha sa shubhamata. So by cultivation of Shama, Dhamma and Uparati, we have removed the sources of sorrow or disturbance from within ourselves. So mind can be disturbed by factors outside of ourselves and mind can be disturbed by the forces of factors within ourselves. So that thing was called Vasana. What causes the inner agitation or disturbance was called vasana. 
and freedom from that was called Shama. And still, we are subject to being provoked by the external situations. And so, well, when we interact with the world, it's quite likely that we may be provoked. Because potentially, the potential of provocation lies within me, understand? The potential of anger lies within me. The intolerance lies within me. Anger lies within me. Greed lies within me. Once the mind has become tranquil, nobody can provoke us. So, uparati or total tranquility has been there, then nothing can provoke me. Prasade saradukhana bhanirasyopajayate. Lord Krishna says when the mind becomes prasannam, cheerful, tranquil, saradukhana bhanihi upajayate. There is cessation of all sorrow. Zod Lord Krishna says, there is cessation of all the sorrow when the mind becomes cheerful, tranquil. How can it be? Because the external situation may not change. They may keep on still pushing your buttons, triggering things. The buttons are pushed, but there is nothing inside to be provoked. So these buttons are there. Push the button, the fan will start rotating. So you push button, the anger comes. Another button, greed comes. Another button, jealousy comes. But work with those things. I was already taken care of them by, as I said, cultivating the right values and attitudes. Then there is nothing inside you provoked. It's like removing the wiring from behind those buttons or switches. So you can keep pushing the switch, nothing happens because there's no wiring. So vasana is the wiring. You call it vasana, ragadveshas, potential, they're all wiring. And the external situation can provoke, push those buttons and provoke. So while this is happening, Still, while there is potential of anger within me and jealousy within me and impulse within me, then what happens when I find that external situation pushes the button? Then sahanam, saradukkhanam, this is when, so dukkha, the putting up with all the dukkha or the pain. <coughs> so, Endurance of all sorts, patient endurance, that's what it says. Patient endurance of all pain. Now pain is at two levels, at the physical level, at the emotional level. The emotional pain is there when there is potential of this raga, bhaya, krodha. Attachment is there, anger is there, fear is there, then the Sorrow comes from within myself. At the same time, the physical pain also can come. With heat and cold, etc., etc. Or, this, the sorrow may come because of the mana, mana, honor and dishonor, respect and disrespect, stuti ninda, 
praise and censure, success and failure. So we are we have to confront these situations. Whoever it is has to confront. It is prarabdha or destiny that brings these situations before us. We blame some XY person. Basically, what creates a situation before me is my own destiny. In which people become instruments. If it is in my destiny to go through the situation of insult, somebody is to become instrumental in that, so those people are instruments. Somebody insults me, somebody censures me, somebody criticizes me, my effort is not successful, somebody deprives me of the success. Yes, it may look like this sorrow or pain is caused by the external world. But what causes it is my own prarabdha, my own destiny. Because often under same situations, another person doesn't face the same thing. Failure doesn't happen to that person, etc., etc. I did not get promotion, he got promotion. I didn't get contract, he got the contract. So, this is the way Vedanta looks at it. That all the pain and sorrow is basically caused by our own karma. For which the external world consisting of people and situations becomes only what? Instrumental. They trigger. They pour salt in the wound. But then the pain will come provided there is wound. So prarabdha is a wound on which, of course, the world pours the salt. So understand that this is all part of life. Honor and dishonor is part of life. Success and failure part of life. Censure and criticism part of life. Comfort, discomfort part of life. Hunger and thirst part of life. Heat and cold part of life. And they were not reacting to them. Not complaining against them. Developing a greater and greater tolerance. So developing tolerance also is a value in Vedanta, understand? Sahana means putting up with the discomfort, I mean putting up with what is unpleasant or unfavorable. What is unpleasant is my own definition, just by the way. That a given thing is uncomfortable, is unpleasant, is unacceptable, is unfavorable. Again, is my personal view which is very over my personal projection. Because of my own state of mind, when I am not in a mood, everything looks like that. This is not good, this is that, that's not, etc. So, whether the situation is whatever it is, how I brand the situation often depends upon me also. And so, we have to see that factor is subjective factor. This is an objective factor, and a subjective factor. Yes, success is objective, failure is objective, 
honor is objective, dishonor is objective, objective. Then there is subjective thing also. That is what I can control is tolerance. Recognizing this is a way of life. This is how it is. You drive on the roads of Amdavad, what do you expect? People cutting off from right and left and everywhere. No rules are observed. No priority is given. Everybody is looking for every inch of space to push themselves. And if you are not quick enough and smart enough, they will. They, they won't wait for you. They won't respect a right or because they are always in a hurry. You can keep on complaining and shouting. You can do what you want. This is how it is. That's how life is. So what is there in the roads of Ahmedabad is there in life also. People keep on cutting you off. You know, everybody is looking always for an inch of space. and That's how life is. So this is what it is. Whether you like it or not. So better start liking it. That is my choice. I have no choice in dictating what is around me or controlling what is around me. Very limited choice. Only choice I have is in how I respond to what is happening around me. And the response is of the nature of patient, suffering or patient, you know, endurance. Putting up with things without complaints. So says here, Sanam Sadukhanam Tritiksha Sashubhamata. So Sahanam, what is Sahanam? What is the endurance? Neither Tikakara says Pratikara Anicha. Not retaliating. You know? So on the face of sorrow or pain, not retaliating. Pratikara Anicha. Ideally, even the desire or impulse of retaliation does not arise in me. The real titiksha or endurance is when even the desire for retaliation does not arise. Now that's a huge thing. Usually we retaliate. Little cold, I wrap up. Little hate, fan. Little this, Little hunger, put something in my Little cold, doing this. You insult me, say one word, I say two words. So usually it is a need to retaliate. So I am happy that I settled the account right away. So we also want to settle the account. It's endless stuff. And there were become free from this tendency of settling accounts. You don't have to be like someone else. Just because a dog barks at you does not you to bark at the dog. With dog we don't. Because that's, we know that's a dog. With a human being, our main problem is a human being, really. 
we don't even have problem heat and cold. That also we can deal with. Hunger and thirst and heat and cold and stuff like that, we may develop some endurance. But developing endurance for other human beings is very tough. Because there is an expectation. From nature, I don't have an expectation because I know it's nature. I know I can't control it and never have to live with it. With human beings and particularly those who are related to us and close to us, the closer a person is, more an expectation is and more a disappointment is, more the reactions are. So, Sahanam Saradukhanam. Our Swamiji would say, we do not give the benefit, to, you know, to close the benefit that we give to a mad person on the street corner. That benefit we do not give to our close friend. If that person, the mad fellow, standing on the street corner says things to me, you know, I dismiss it. He doesn't know what he's talking. One tenth of that, a friend of mine says, I, I, you know, so I blow up. So the, the benefit that I give to dogs and cats, because I know that's how they are, even to mosquitoes. It may be irritating, but you know, that's what do we expect from a mosquito? And from flies, from this, what do we expect? So how I am able to retain a reasonable composure as far as these things are concerned because I accepted them as they are. Accepted the dog in you is like this, cat is like that, monkey is like this. In front of me he is breaking away the tree and then doing, what can I do? That's how he is. So how I accepted all this? Similarly, there is no retaliation. As I said, when the dog barks, in my mind, the desire to retaliate generally does not come. It may come, but then generally doesn't come. Mosquito usually, you don't right or crush it, you know. At least we try to, you know, remove it. <coughs> So how when I accepted gracefully what is, how the desire for retaliation does not arise. We should know when it does not arise. When I accept it, this is how things are. The cook sometimes forgets salt, sometimes twice the salt, whatever, that's what it is. You can, you can you know, shout and scream and do, that doesn't mean that that fellow is going to change. The the world is what it is. This is just an example, I'm not saying against cook or anything, just an example. So this is how it is, I I tell in Ahmedabad, this is what it is, that's how traffic is. People get agitated, why is somebody, just calm down, that's how it is. That's how life is. Calm down, relax. People are like this, that's what it is. And therefore, what you cannot control, have what you call prasada buddhi. Graceful acceptance of what I cannot change. 
Grace will accept. No, why I cannot control? If you can change, do try. If you have to. If you can do away without changing, it's better because that is less expenditure of energy. But if you can change and make the environment somewhat more comfortable, you can do that. That's all right. Although the limit to the extent that you can change. So prasad buddhi, graceful acceptance of what is. Honor, prasad. Dishonor, prasad. Success, prasad. Failure, prasad. Prasada is sarudukhanam hanirasyo. This prasada buddhi enables me to become free from all sorrow. Because sorrow arises from reaction. When I do not react, so bring Ishwara into that. Bringing Ishwara into our life. That this fellow is merely an instrument and the one who is doing either you call it prarabdha, destiny, or you call it Ishwara. Ishwara is doing all this. Maybe as a result of my karma, but then one who does things is Ishwara. So Ishwara has created success, he has created failure, he has created honor, he has created dishonor, he has created sanction, he has created praise. So what do you do with Ishwara? You can fight with him if you want. He says, wait a minute, I dishon your karma. Don't blame me. So in bringing Ishwara, you know, releases everything because Ishwara is always compassionate, is always good. That's what our tr- trust is. Meaning that even if he gives us pain, it's for some reason for me to grow and therefore the growth can take place only when there is pain. No pain, no gain. So Ishwara wants me to grow. By giving me the difficulties and, and, and you know, the hardships, etc., he's just molding me. Like a sculptor is molding a stone to bring out a beautiful, you know, uh, form. Similarly also, Ishwara, this is his business. He seems to be committed to molding me. Whether I co- If I cooperate, it's good for me. Imagine that stone not cooperating with the sculpture, then it gets broken. So, Sahanam. So when there is this kind of, not merely putting up with the pain, with, and the, with mature, with understanding, then there is no reaction, then I grow. In India, everybody puts up with pain, where are you going to go? Swami, your whole life you have, to, you have tolerated pain. But that is not tetiksha. Because inside there is a lot of reaction, a lot of resentment is there. It leaves hurt, resentment and hurt. And so when situations leave resentment, that means all vasanas are there and someday it will burst out. So we do not want any new vasanas or tendencies to be created and therefore, right there and then you neutralize them by graceful acceptance. <coughs> so sahanam saradukhana, the dukkha or pain or hardship or discomfort at physical level, at emotional level, at intelligent level, is the reality of life. People sometimes they don't agree with me, you know, in my ideas, my thoughts, and also they get upset. When somebody dismisses my uh, mind, the belief, then also we get upset. 
because they are so committed on identifying their own opinions. When somebody dismisses my opinion, I feel dismissed and I react. So there are millions of causes for us to become sorrow, sad, millions. And they were observing all of them, removing all those causes. Otherwise, we, even though internally you have, we have tried to remove those causes, but external provocations are always there and never the way to be able to shield ourselves is by this attitude of titiksha, patient endurance, prasad buddhi. As Vivekishwarami would say, sanam saradukkhanam, all the pain, physical, emotional, intellectual, ego, whatever level pains come, apratikara purvakam, without retaliation. Chinta viraparahitam. We do not retaliate externally, but internally, vilapa. I lament on what all has happened, Swami, what all I have to go through in my life, lamenting. Niko vilapa. And chinta, what will happen in the future? So, even our suffering of the pain is accompanied with either complaining or lamenting on what has happened to me in the past. So, at all the three levels, as far as all past suffering is concerned, lamenting. Like what Swami would say, this middle-aged couple is traveling the train to heat of Rajasthan and they ran out of water. Now this, this is a mail train, so two and a half hours between stations and heat, 50 degrees. Wife says, I'm very thirsty. Okay, husband said, yes, be patient, I'll get water for you in the next station. I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. As soon as the railway station came, the fellow rushed out and got some water. She had that. Then the train started moving. See how thirsty I was, how thirsty I was, how thirsty I was. So lamenting for what has happened. What if we run out of water again? So then the anxiety for the future. So retaliation in the present, lamenting for the past, and anxiety of the future. This pain or suffering occupies whole of our being. So Vivekishwaramani beautifully describes Tritiksha as putting away all the discomfort or pain without retaliation, without lamenting about what happened and without anxieties for what will happen. So Satitiksha Nigadyate, they say that is called Titiksha. <coughs> so apparently Vedantins also talk about endurance, Sahana. So one of the values must be to slowly and slowly raising our endurance limit. The, the ability to put up with things which are uncomfortable, which are painful at physical level, emotional level, at all levels. <coughs> That's also a value. 
सुश्रमा दमा उपरते तितिक्षा देन कम्स श्रद्धा एंड समाधान सो दोज लास्ट टू थिंग्स आर डिफाइंड इन द वर्स नंबर एट ऑन नेक्स्ट पेज निगमाचार्यवाक्यु भक्तिश्रद्धेति विश्रुता चित्तैकाग्र्यम तो संलक्ष्य समाधानमिति स्मृतम् निगमाचार्यवाक्यु भक्ति ट्रांसलेट बस इम्प्लीसिड ट्रस्ट निगमाचार्य वाक्यशन द वर्ड वाक्यशन द वर्ड आचार्य ऑफ द टीचर निगमा मीन द शास्त्र सो इम्प्लीसिड फेक्स इन द वेरासिटी इन द ट्रूथफुलनेस ऑफ द वर्ड ऑफ द टीचर एंड द स्क्रिप्चर मीनिंग दैट वॉट द स्क्रिप्चर्स Reveal is true. Ashadha. Well, you know what it means? It means that the scripture or Vedanta is pramana. To understand what shadha is, we can dwell upon the relationship that we have with our pramana. We perceive the objects of the world. with five organs of perception so right now you are listening to these words so what is the attitude that you have with reference to what your organ of hearing is giving you the information that the organ of hearing is giving you what attitude do we have we say it is ears don't know what they are listening to i think that don't don't tell me they are not giving me the information that actually swami is talking in english and they are telling me in gujarati something like this talking gujarati this fellow says in english i mean do i question my ears in what they are telling me no without any resistance i accept as true whatever it is that my ears are the information that my ears are giving me is it not so your eyes are night telling you right now swami is sitting on the right do we question that so eyes are right now revealing to me the forms and colors do i question i don't question them i've taken for granted that was the eyes tell me is true what the ears tell me is true what other organs the perception tell me is true is it not so sometimes some doubt is created when i see something and somebody else says something else and i may have i may go for a check up in my eyes possible 
it is possible that eyes may develop some defect because of which I may question what the eyes are doing because of some dosha or defect. But otherwise, as long as the eyes are nirdosha without any defect, I will implicitly trust that what the eyes are telling me is true. Implicit trust that what the ears are telling me is implicit. This is very important. This is called Shraddha. So, relation I have today with my pramana or the means of knowledge or perception, basically sense organs, the relation I have today, that is called Shraddha. That attitude is called Shraddha. Similarly, when they Scripture says something, you are Brahman. What is this Brahman? Then an implicit faith. No resistance arises in me. Just as no resistance arises when I tell me what the color is, I don't question. I say this is orange color, then I can't be orange. My Buddha says this has to be yellow, can't be orange. Suppose Buddhist, who will verify it anyway? What do we say? But the eye alone can verify because eye is only pramanam for color and there was no buddhi, nothing will work in that. Only pramanam or the valid means of knowledge to reveal color is eyes. So ears can't complain, then hey, this can't be orange. My skin cannot say this is orange, not orange. Even they say I don't accept it. Because I have trust that what my eyes are telling me is what it is. Similarly, what Upanishads, Vedantanam, Upanishad, Pramana. So basically, this is the relation with Pramana. So Shraddha has a role this much way. In, again, in, in, in the context of knowledge, understand. All these values are being taught to us in the context of knowledge. How do I gain the knowledge? When I subject myself to the exposed myself to teaching. In what form did the teaching come to me? In the form of the words of the scriptures. And again, since I do not have enough maturity or intelligent development as yet to directly understand what the scriptures say, I need the agency of the teacher. So words of scriptures are communicated to me by a competent teacher who knows how to endure Swamiji's words, how to handle those words, who knows how to unfold what the scriptures reveal. In as much as we do not have a direct access to the scriptures or Upanishad, the access to Upanishad comes to the teacher, therefore they are, they are clubbed together. Implicit faith in the truthfulness of the words of the scriptures and the teacher. is basically words of scriptures, understand. But if you say in the morning, if you want to study Bhagavad Gita, seven, then you study one verse, for, for understanding one verse, you require what? To understand all the verses, because every verse is a connection, every other verse. To know one verse, you need to know all 700 verses. To know 700 verses, you need to know each verse. And so we don't have that 
facility with us. Therefore, we go to a person who knows all the verses and therefore, who can therefore unfold the meaning of each verse in the right context. So, understand that is not merely scholarship that is meant here. Scholarship may be there. What is important on the part of the teacher is consistency. That what the teacher unfolds is consistent with the vision of the scriptures. So he brings out the vision of the scriptures by unfolding the words of scriptures. So we trust the teacher also that he knows his job and that the way he is unfolding, the way he is communicating is the way it is. Meaning that he is true to the scriptures. There is a bend of a doubt to give to the teacher. So first, they trust in the Upanishad of the scriptures and second also, the trust in the, in the teacher who is a link between ourselves and the Upanishads. <coughs> Therefore, Shraddha is usually explained, defined as Nigamacharya Vakyeshu Vishwasaha and implicit faith in the words of the scriptures as well as the teacher. Now, that is why the word bhakti is used also. Bhakti means devotion. So because the teacher comes in, in a way it also conveys that the shraddha or the faith also involves bhakti or devotion for the teacher. A reverence for the teacher and the scriptures. Either devotion or love for the teacher and the scriptures. Bhakti. But that really creates in my mind the right attitude of what you may call surrender. Makes my mind receptive. Just as my mind is receptive towards the information given by my organs of perception, where there is no resistance, no doubt, no questioning. I don't doubt what my eyes are telling me. I don't question what the eyes are telling me. So no doubt, no questioning, no resistance. So in my mind there is absence of resistance when I am listening to a teacher. There is no doubt about the veracity or the truthfulness of what the teacher is saying. How can he say this? Sometimes people say, how can he say this? Because I, the problem here is that I am a human being. See, this kind of faith is not necessarily required for learning the objective sciences. For well, learning the subjective science that itself, a special kind of faith attitude is required. You know why? Because when I go to a teacher of physics or professor of physics or chemistry, I have a clean slate. Meaning that I have no preconceived notion about what physics and chemistry teaches. I have no preconceived notion. Therefore, I have an open mind and therefore my mind is receptive. 
But here the subject matter who? Who is subject matter? Self is subject matter. For whom are all kinds of opinions and conclusions and complexes. So I don't go with a clean slate. I already have opinion about myself. That brings about opinion about the world. That in turn brings about the opinion about God also. Each one of us has opinions or conclusions about who I am, what the world is and what God is. Nobody can escape from these conclusions or opinions or complexes or whatever you call them. Nobody. Whether a person is educated or not educated, ever listen to Vedanta, everybody has an opinion about himself. Because we are born with ignorance and a wrong perception of ourselves. So everybody has a wrong opinion about who he or she is. That's one thing. And my opinion of the world are shaped by my opinion about myself. The way I perceive the world is determined by the way I perceive myself. And the way I perceive God is determined by the way I perceive the world, you know. So that is how I already have conclusions or opinions about myself, about the world and about God. And this subject matter of Vedanta. So about all this I have no clean slate, I already am opinionated. And sometimes we are so strongly attached to opinions that we are not open. You don't have unbiased mind. What we need is simply an unbiased mind when we are the open mind. In other words, Swami's words, you need an open mind. An unbiased mind. A receptive mind. That's all while listening to this teaching. There is no bias, meaning that there are no the opinion you may have, but no identification of the opinion. I'm bound to opinions about myself and everything, but I'm open as far as those opinions are concerned, meaning that I'm willing to subject those opinions to the scrutiny of reasoning. When the scripture and teacher gives me reasoning, then I use that reasoning to scrutinize my own opinion. I find that my opinion or conclusion is not right, I am willing to let it go. So let go what is not right. Because what is not right is ignorance. After how does ignorance manifest itself in our life? In the form of various opinions and complexes. In the form of the opinions and complex about myself, about the world and about God. This is ignorance. Ignorance is not a tangible thing. We know ignorance is something that we infer, by the way. This ignorance in life is a matter of inference. Ignorance nobody sees. But the fact that I am totally, you know, my opinion of myself is totally wrong, that means I do not know who truly I am. Oh, my opinion of the world is wrong, but God is wrong, then I know that I do not know who they are. That means I am ignorant. So ignorance is something that is inferred based on my present understanding or wrong understanding. And I should be willing to let go of what is wrong. That is called letting go of ignorance. 
is a Swami would say, shedding the ignorance in the light of knowledge. So knowledge is revealed by the scripture and the teacher. And if I am not opinionated, opinionated or I am not biased, then I receive that information with open mind. It is not suggested here that you necessarily accept what the teacher tells you. That's not, Vedanta doesn't accept and doesn't expect that. Simply swallow what you are told. No, Vedanta doesn't want. Viveka Sharana clearly says that you must scrutinize what even you listen from the teacher. That's meaning that don't accept it without understanding. It's not acceptance that is important. Understanding is important. Knowledge is understanding. So if you accept something, it is only after understanding. So understand what you are told, understand what you are listening to and then if you think that it is okay, accept it. If it is not okay, don't reject it, that's all. I think he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, don't say that. Presently, I do not understand what the teacher is saying. I just set it aside for the future. Maybe later on I will understand it. This again, words of Swamiji giving benefit of doubt to the teacher. That he knows what he's talking about, and maybe I do not know what I'm talking about. Questioning my opinion rather than questioning what the teacher says. This is important. So when I question my opinion and subject it to scrutiny of reasoning then I have an opportunity to realize that I have taken things for granted. It's not that I have arrived at this opinion because of some reasoning. It is just, or some kind of a reasoning may be there. Some emotional reasoning, some impulsive reasoning, some unintelligent reasoning may be there. As a child, you know, we have grasped so many things, so many conclusions we have drawn. Child may have its own reasoning. Now, when I am mature and adult, then I subject those conclusions to the scrutiny of reasoning and I realize that it doesn't make sense. So when I discover that what I, my conclusions are, they cannot, they cannot be validated by the reasoning, then I am willing to let go. That's called letting go of ignorance, shedding ignorance. That's how we learn. That's how knowledge comes. If this process doesn't take place, no knowledge comes. Just by listening, it doesn't come. Simply, this process must go on in my mind. Thus, when I am listening to teacher, even though the listener seems to be quiet and not doing it, he's doing a lot of things within his or her own mind. This process goes on. That is, I listen to the teacher. What is my opinion? What does the teacher say? Is that the same? No problem. But if my opinion is different, then I don't question what the teacher says. I question my opinion. And apply the... It is possible that I feel that my opinion is right. Then leave it. Don't reject teacher's opinion. In future, we may develop a little more better understanding to understand where we are making mistakes. <clears throat> so thus, all this false or distorted perception is what has to go. That's all. All that Vedanta seeks to do is to give us the right perception, nothing else. Our problem is wrong perception is a problem and right perception is solution, as simple as that. You are the problem and you are the solution. 
I with the wrong perception is problem to myself and I with the right perception is the solution to myself. So call it knowledge, call it understanding, call it right perception. <coughs> about, about my own self. And as my perception myself becomes more and more right, every other perception also becomes right. Because my opinion of person of the world also are based on my opinion about myself. Swami world is no good. I mean ninja always threatened, Swami world is always attacking me. So different people have different opinions. Because I judge myself in a certain way and always feel that world is always out to get me. Or somebody is always out to get the world, whatever, something. In any case, there is always battle going on. <clears throat> so recognizing that the only problem I have in my life is ignorance, which has caused all these wrong opinions or conclusions or perceptions. That's the only problem I have, no other problem. There's only cause of sorrow. There's no other cause of sorrow as Vedanta teaches us. Nobody can cause me sorrow if I do not allow them to cause it. But I, I empower others to make me unhappy by my own wrong understanding or perception. That causes ragadveshas. Attachment, aversion are all products of ignorance. A distorted understanding of the world, a distorted understanding of myself, Causes also a projection on myself, causes projection upon the objects, things and beings of the world, and then I don't see them also as they are, and then I have an opinion, you know, likable, dislikable, desirable, undesirable, I keep branding, and then I react with raga, dvesha, attachment, aversion. All of this is ignorance. And the only source of sorrow is ignorance. Meaning, the wrong perception caused by ignorance. This should become clear to us. No father and no mother and no son and no daughter and no ex-wife and nobody can cause me sorrow if I do not allow them to. I become made, made myself vulnerable and anybody can make, make me miserable. That's my problem, not anybody's problem. That's what they are. They will blow on. You know, they will blow. When you are driving the road, why is honking? That is what it is. They are trying to push you. But where am I to go? You know, there is nowhere to go and still keeps on honking, you know. That is how it is. So, Amdavad will make you a yogi. You know, when you try in Amdavad, you become a yogi, really. So, life is meant to make us a yogi. Provided we want to become. Otherwise, you become a ninja. Either way, you keep fighting all the time, retaliating. So this understanding is required that I have to do something with my myself, with my understanding, my opinions. That is ignorance and that is only cause of my sorrow. Not what, happen, what happens out there, what does not happen out there, what somebody did, what somebody did not do, they need not cause sadness, that's all. They do cause a different thing, it need not. If I do not cooperate with them, 
So sadness is created by cooperation with the world which creates situation pushes buttons with I, with my wrong opinions and wrong buttons and buttons. I can't help, I can't change the world. I can just remove the buttons. What are buttons? Wrong understanding. How do you remove them? By right understanding. How does it come? By from the scripture. How does that come? From the teacher. How does that come? By deliberating upon the meaning of what the teacher says, understanding what the teacher says, comparing that with the present understanding, and then wherever change is needed, carry out the change. So Vedanta would say that the whole problem is an intellectual problem. Problem of understanding. Wrong understanding is the problem, right understanding is the solution. What happens is, it is wrong and it creates all emotions. All emotions are, all impulses are product of wrong understanding. Vedanta would suggest. So-called emotions, so-called impulses are all product of wrong understanding. As understanding gets corrected, those impulses also will slowly and slowly will be ironed out. So emotionally also I will become a healthier person. My emotion structure, my being right now is totally, you know, uh, distorted or, you know, because again of my distorted understanding. So Vedanta say, seems to say that solution to all problems in life is right understanding. That's called knowledge. So ignorance is a problem. Ignorance is manifest as wrong knowledge, wrong understanding, wrong perception, wrong opinions, wrong conclusions. And knowledge, right conclusion, right perception, right it is all solution, simple as that. So this understanding should be there. So when I am exposing myself to teacher, then I know what it is that I want. Otherwise as a teacher, please help me, grace me, remove this pain. So we use them for divide of purposes. So do you see palm, do you see you know, child, astrological chart and stuff like that. What? He may know, that's a different matter. But that's not the use of him. He is competent for one thing. And so use him for that. Him or her, whatever, the teacher. <coughs> is to get the knowledge. Many right understanding. So then a healthy relationship is there. Moment emotions enter, all kinds of problems can come. Then expectations come. Then somebody gets more attention, somebody gets and is looking this side, is not going that. All kinds of problems happen. So Swami says, what can I do? When I am looking at you, you are looking down. What can I do? You know? So that, that revealed to me that we are not the only one. I thought that, you know, that he also has a problem. That some comfort was there. Because you are always, you know, uh, bombarded with this. You are not looking at me. You know? You know? So I thought, we, everybody has that problem. When he said that openly, you know, when I'm looking at you, but then you're looking down. So what can I do? All right. So all these emotional build-up is there. When our priorities are not clear, the priority is learning nothing else. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. I don't expect that. I mean, after all, there's a person, so emotions are going to be there. But as I said, less emotions we bring into the thing. By limo, I mean expectation. By limo, I mean expectation. Less expectations we bring, healthier the relation is, 
So healthy is the relation with the teacher. More open learning the mind is and more effective the teaching becomes. <coughs> but after all, I mean, you know, we are also human beings, the teacher also is human being, and so needs, emotional needs are always there and they always oblige you and, and so the expectations come and, and, and there's comparison comes and all kinds of things happen. As best as possible to stay away from that and relate to the teacher as a teacher, <coughs> as a source of knowledge. <coughs> that is ideal situation. That's called the situation of Shraddha. Shraddha is very important. A healthy trust, not a blind trust. A trust arising from an understanding. So, you don't put your trust just anywhere and everywhere. You can also test whether a person is trustworthy or not. You have all the freedom to test whether the person is trustworthy or not. Take your own time and trust will develop if it is there. So, it is not that we can will the trust anyway. By the Shraddha is not something we can will. Trust we cannot will, it has to happen. Love has to happen, you can't will. Devotion has to happen, you can't will. Reverence has to happen and so also Shraddha has to happen. And we allow for that to happen. And we pray for Shraddha to come into us. <clears throat> so Shraddha creates a right relationship with the teacher opens the channels of our mind for receiving the knowledge and thus it is the most important thing in, in the pursuit of knowledge. So Lord Krishna says, Shraddhavan labhate jnanam tat Shraddhavan For all the qualifications said here, Lord Krishna, one who possesses Shraddha in abundance, he gains the knowledge. Because in this knowledge, just as the knowledge that we gain through organs of perception, Shraddha is, has a most Im very important role. So also we relate to teacher as Pramanam. Relate to Upanishad as Pramanam. So Upanishad with the teacher becomes Pramanam, the means of knowledge. And that's how we relate. And just as with this means of knowledge I relate with Shraddha, with that means of knowledge I relate with Shraddha. <coughs> So, Nigama Charyavakeshu Bhakti Shraddhiti the Vishruta. This is how Vishruta, that's what is heard from the wise people. <coughs> you see, this is compounded with Nigama Charyavakeshu. Nigamascha, Acharyascha, Nigama Charyavu, Tayoho Vakeshu, you can say. The words of the Nigama and Acharya, or Nigamascha Acharyashu. The word of the teacher, who is the teacher of the nigama, you know. So says, that's what the Yandva Upanishad Vyakhyatra Upadeshesu. Who is the Acharya? Vyakhyatru, Upanishad Vyakhyatru. So one is unfolding the Upanishad, is called Acharya. So nigama Acharya is Acharya of nigama. Meaning, the Acharya, the teacher, is unfolding the nigama. So not the words of the scripture, the words of the teacher only. 
the words of a teacher who is unfolding the scripture. So Shraddha or implicit faith in the veracity of the words of the teacher. There is another interpretation also. <coughs> Shraddha is dismissed by science completely by the way. So-called rationalist will dismiss the Shraddha, you know. I am a rationalist. I don't, yeah. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I am a rationalist. The rationalist is not believing anything is rationalist or what. Anyway, the idiotic rationalist believe in all, all so miserable things ultimately that he doesn't believe. They don't believe in God. When there is a problem, they go to some fellow on this roadside, you know, who is a parrot, you know, in some car. So they will go to them ultimately. Everybody has to go someplace, where, you know, someday they... So, everybody is vulnerable. Who is a rationalist? Same vulnerable fellow, same needy person, same emotionally needy in every way needy. So, they need somebody to, you know, to nurture and nourish and whatever, gratify them. So, they will go someplace. Anyway, so, uh, if having the Shraddha is not being rational, then okay. But I believe that Vedanta is rational because the Shraddha is a trust in the source of knowledge. It is not just Shraddha in anything or anything, everything, but source of knowledge. That's called Shraddha. Okay. <coughs> Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Ishvaro Gururatmede Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyomavadvyaptadehaya Dakshinamurtai Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Gurubhyo Namah Hari